everybody, and welcome to the old dingy jukebox. I'm your host, Christian Gallo, and for the next hour or so, we're going to be listening to a variety of styles that make up the deep and wide well of down-home American music. For this episode, I'm going to be digging into my record collection, and from there, we're going to venture into the land of the blues, country string bands, traditional folk music, bluegrass, jazz, gospel, western swing, and early country music. So, sit back and relax and enjoy the variety of sounds that make up the great American musical heritage. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Uh, got a lot of positive feedback from last week's show on the, the theme show I did on uh, California. I'm glad you all enjoyed it. Uh, this show is without a theme, and it's going to be, you know, like a, a show that I do every once in a while where I'm just going to be playing records uh, from a variety of all the styles that I love. So this show was taken uh, completely from my collection of 78 records, and we're going to hear 78s from uh, blues artists to jazz artists to early country artists, you know, all the good stuff that by now... Uh, three episodes in you're probably figuring out you know you know the stuff that i'm that i'm into so this is a 78 record show and i had fun putting it together and uh, i hope you enjoy it we're going to go ahead and get right into it but first if you haven't done so already i would appreciate it if you would subscribe and also share the show with your friends so let's go ahead and get right into the records so the first record i'm going to play for you is a record by Big Joe and his washboard band. And Joe is a one Joe McCoy who was the guitarist for the group. And uh, after a string of hits with the popular jazz group in the 1930s, the Harlem Ham Fats, he got a bit more down home in 1940 with this group. The group combined sort of the upbeat swing of the Ham Fats with jug band instrumentation, including Joe's cousin Robert McCoy, who is also known as Robert Nighthawk, on harmonica, and Amanda Sordier on washboard. This is a nice up-tempo kind of swinging song recorded in 1940 for OK Records. This is called I'm Through With You. So let's take a listen to Big Joe and his washboard band.
Yeah, Big Joe and his washboard band. Okay. So this next record, we're going to shift gears and hear a song by Tennessee Ernie Ford. Now, Ford's an interesting character, and he had a couple of big hits, most notably his hit he had with Merle Travis's song, 16 Tons, that he recorded in 1946. Uh, Ford began his career as a radio announcer at WOPIAM in Bristol, Tennessee in the 1930s. He also served in the United States Army Air Corps in World War II as a bombardier on a B-29 Superfortress, where he flew missions over Japan. He was also a bombing instructor at George Air Force Base in Victorville, California. And, you know, later he had a lot of hit records uh, once he got into music, but most of his records, quite frankly, were pretty sappy pop records. But he did have a few pretty good down-home country-style numbers in his earlier days. So we're going to go ahead and listen to one of those, as you might have guessed. Um, this one actually was another hit for him. So let's go ahead and take a listen to Tennessee Ernie Ford and his tune that he recorded called The Shotgun Boogie. He recorded this for Capitol Records in 1951. All right, sit back and enjoy this. This is a good one. Dad stands in the corner where the barrels are straight. I look out the window and over the gate. The big fat rabbits are jumping in the grass. Hear my old shotgun blast, shotgun boogie. I done saw your track. Look out, Mr. Rabbit, when I cock my hammer back. Well, over on the ridge is a scaly bark. Hickory nuts are big, you can see them in the dark. The big fat squirrels, they scratch and they fight. I'll be on that ridge before daylight with the shotgun boogie. All I need is one shot. Look out, bushy tail, tonight you'll be in the pot. Well, I met a pretty gal, she was tall and thin. I asked her what she had, she said, a fox for ten. I looked her up and down, said, boy, this is love. So we headed for the brush to shoot a big fat dove. Shotgun boogie. Boy, the feathers flew. Look out, Mr. Dove, when she draws a bead on you. I sat down on a log, took her on my lap. She said, wait a minute, bud, you got to see my pap. He's got a 16-gauge choke down like a rifle. He don't like a man that's a going to trifle. Shotgun boogie. Draws a beat so fine. Look out, big boy, he's loaded all the time. Hunter's gonna get my daughter He cocked back the hammer right on the spot When the gun went off I outrun the shot Shotgun boogie I wanted wedding bells I'll be back little gal When your pappy runs out of shells 
Yeah, Tennessee Ernie. Take warning, folks, the shotgun boogie. All right, let's take a trip to Harlem in the 1930s. And we're going to hear Duke Ellington's Cotton Club Orchestra. Now, Duke is considered one of America's, uh, in my opinion, if not the world's greatest composer or one of the world's greatest composers. I've always thought that he's, you know, he's ranked up there, right there with the Mozarts and the Bachs of the world. Um, you know, not, you know, he's not just one of the greatest composers of the 20th century, but any era. And I always tell my students whenever I'm playing Duke Ellington for them, especially from this era, from the 1930s and Duke Ellington holding court at the Cotton Club in Harlem. Man, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall at the Cotton Club in Harlem during the 1930s. What a scene that was. You had mobsters, illegal alcohol, reefer. You had a wild stage show. And then, oh, by the way, Duke Ellington and his Cotton Club Orchestra is the house band at that place. Boy, I would have loved to have seen that. So we're going to hear one of his records. So this is a record he recorded for Victor Records in 1931. And this is Duke Ellington's Cotton Club Orchestra with this tune called Echoes of the Jungle. All right, sit back and enjoy this. This is a good one. Thank you. 
told you. Man, what a great composition. I love that sound that Duke got in the 30s. It's the, a real particular, I guess it's a maybe a minor sounding uh, song. And it, it's just, it, it has the blues, but it also has this creepy element to it. Um, it sounds like, you know, hence the name, you know, um, you know, the, the, the jungle, uh, blues, um, it has that kind of vibe. I guess those songs were used a lot in those movies from that era, those black and white films, you know, where they're traveling down deep into the jungle. And, you know, there was a lot of those films that had that motif, you know, hence the ride, you know, at Disneyland, the jungle boat theme. That was kind of the music that was used in a lot of that and um, man it's just good stuff I love that all right so next up I'm going to play a track from one of my guitar heroes and that is Merle Travis Merle Travis was a finger picker from Kentucky he lived most of his life in California he moved here actually in 1944 where he had minor roles in Hollywood Western films um, he had some pop success in the 1940s, specifically in 1947. He put out this record compilation titled Folk Songs of the Hills. Of particular note on those albums were his hits Dark as a Dungeon and 16 Tons. And I mentioned 16 Tons earlier in the show uh, because Tennessee Ernie Ford had a hit with that one uh, as well. So his popular success came from his song compositions of the time, but, you know, really among, you know, sort of the guitarists and the guitar playing community, it was his finger style guitar virtuosity that really does stand out. To this day, that particular style, which was a two finger picking style, most pickers use three fingers, but a couple of the great ones like Merle Travis, as well as the Reverend Gary Davis had a two finger picking style. And still to this day, it's still affectionately called Travis Pickin. This next record is one of those virtuosic guitar pieces that I'm going to play for you. Every time I hear this, it just it just blows my mind. Uh, this is a tune called Blue Smoke, and he recorded this for Capitol Records in 1949. So sit back and enjoy the great Merle Travis.
as one who considers himself a fan of and a player who tries to play like Merle Travis and others, man, every time I hear those records, and especially Merle Travis from that era, I am truly humbled. He's such a great genius on the um, on the finger pick guitar. Just good stuff. I love those records. All right, next we're going to play a song from the great Carter family. I'm going to play what is considered one of their most famous songs, and that is Keep on the Sunny Side. Now, Keep on the Sunny Side is a popular American song that was originally written in 1899 by Ada Blankhorn and Howard Entwistle. In 1899, Blankhorn was inspired to write the Christian hymn uh, by a phrase that was commonly used by her nephew. And the story goes is that Blankhorn's nephew was disabled, and he always wanted his wheelchair pushed down, quote, the sunny side of the street. Uh, The Carter family actually learned this song from A.P. Carter's uncle, who was a music teacher. Uh, And the Carter family, you know, of course, along with Jimmy Rogers, are considered the foundation of, of, you know, what is considered modern country music or just country music in, in general. If you've seen the Ken Burns documentary that came out last year on country music, he does spend quite a bit of time on the Carter family and Jimmy Rogers. And by the way, rightfully so. And if you want to take a deeper dive, I would highly recommend, if you haven't seen it already, to check out the Ken Burns documentary on country music. Um, uh, He does, you know, he goes deep into the Carter family. Um, The Carters, you know, in particular, Uh, the matriarch of the group, A.P. Carter, were actually folk song collectors. Most of the songs that they recorded, pretty much all of them, um, were cover songs. Uh, You know, mostly folk songs, but actually some were pop songs. And the story is is that A.P. Carter would wander the countryside of Virginia and Tennessee, and, you know, he was selling fruit trees door-to-door. And while he was doing this, he was collecting folk songs from the locals back in all the haulers and the the countryside. And oftentimes he brought along Leslie Riddle, who was a black blues guitarist, who would help him sort of transpose the songs. And also, you know, during the time in the 20s and 30s, Leslie Riddle coming along would give him access to some of the black communities where they were also mining songs from. And, you know, as a result, some of the Carter's uh, repertoire actually includes some pretty good you know, blues numbers, and Maybell Carter, I believe it was Maybell, it might have been Sarah, but I think Maybell Carter actually started playing some slide guitar on a few of their songs um, as a result. It's pretty good stuff. So AP would bring these songs back to Sarah and Maybell, and they would work them up into a version in their styles, you know, complete with the Carter-style harmonies, you know, played on guitar with Mother Maybell playing, you know, her Carter-style guitar, the Carter Scratch, and also with Sarah Carter playing the auto harp and uh, AP often singing his baritone uh, along with the harmonies. This song, Keep on the Sunny Side, eventually became the Carter's theme song and it was used on their popular radio broadcasts in the 1930s and 40s. In the recent, you know, in the more modern era, a recording of this song done by the Whites was featured in the classic movie, one of my favorite movies uh, that the Coen brothers made. That's probably been about 20 years now. And that was the great uh, movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It had a lot of this sort of old-timey country music in it. And um, Keep on the Sunny Side was featured in that. Um, 
All right, we're going to hear the original because it's just such a great song. So we're going to hear uh, Keep on the Sunny Side, and the Carter family recorded this for Victor Records in 1928. All right, enjoy this record. It's a good one. Stay in the same era, essentially. We're going to move up a little bit to the 1930s. And next we're going to hear from the Clarence Williams Jug Band. This is one of my favorite records that I've acquired in the last couple years. It's a great record. I've always loved Clarence's records, but not knowing a whole lot about Clarence Williams, I knew a few things. I had to do a little research for this. And the following I got from an online publication called the syncopated times now according you know jazz history for some reason or another um, all those books often leave you know clarence's name as sort of a, a side notes but clarence williams was a major force in the 1920s and 30s and he had quite a career in fact several careers that actually overlapped 
He was a successful businessman. He was a pretty decent pianist. He was a great singer, an enthusiastic jug blower. He was a band leader. He was a publisher. He was a song plugger, meaning he, he you know, he tried to get other jazz artists to sing songs that he wrote. Um, he was a songwriter, and you know, he was the organizer of scores of rewarding and fun recording sessions. Oftentimes, his recording sessions included, you know, the guitarist Lonnie Johnson, sometimes Louis Armstrong, Bessie Smith. He had, you know, quite a prolific career. But, you know, most of all, he was a hustler who never tired of publicizing, selling, and making money, you know, off of this music. He was born in Louisiana in the late um, 19th century, 1898. Get this, he runs away from home at the age of 12 years old. Just let that sink in. You know, oftentimes I often hear these stories of people, well, Louis Armstrong was one of those people. He splits home when he's 12 years old and goes out into the, into the world. And in, in Clarence's case, he joins a traveling minstrel show and he works also in the vaudeville traveling tent show circus. He eventually settles in New Orleans and he begins to learn piano. And, you know, pretty soon he's playing, um, you know, as a, as a regular in the Storyville district, where, which around the same time, Jelly Roll Morton was also making a name for himself. Um, you know, he kept pretty busy in New Orleans. He, he was a talent scout. And he also started to manage, you know, vaudeville theaters, dance halls, and saloons. Um, he played piano on his first blues recording on, the, on one of the more famous blues recordings, and that was a record by Mamie Smith and her Jazz Hounds. And in, in jazz and blues history, the recording that Mamie Smith did in this era, um, I believe it was like in 19, uh, it was in the early 20s sometimes. I want to say 23 or 24, sometime around there. But he played piano on Mamie Smith's um, first record, The Crazy Blues. And that was like a monumental record because it essentially gave the green light for record companies to start recording uh, black musicians and this blues music, which was side of, you know, it pretty much wasn't um, taken seriously by the record companies until Mamie Smith's record sold tons of records, and he was the piano player on that. Um, he becomes, you know, the successful, you know, um, one of the first successful African-American music publishers in the country. And, you know, he starts writing songs and, and selling them. He starts selling sh uh, sheet music, and uh, he was a talent scout for OK Records. Um, you know, and he gets his songs arranged and recorded by some real popular jazz musicians at the time. Uh, just a real interesting guy, had quite a quite a life and a big influence on the early jazz uh, world. So, anyways, let's get to the record. We're going to hear Clarence Williams Jug Band, and they're performing a tune called Organ Grinder, and this features the Lowland Singers, and you'll hear him call out. Let's hear the Lowland Singers. And also it features a guitarist that we've heard before on another episode, and that is the great Lonnie Johnson. Now, this record was recorded in 1933 for Columbia Records, and it's a little cringy the first, you know, 10 to 20 seconds. You know, uh, keep in mind that this intro is, you know, obviously exaggerated dialect, and you know, upon hearing it, it seems like stupidly out of place for the 21st century. But, you know, keep in mind while when you hear this that 
I get you know this was 1933 things were a lot different then and it is a little cringy but then the the song picks up and and gets pretty groovy after that all right Clarence Williams jug band organ grinder what's the matter with you fellas here sitting on your sleep ain't you gonna play no music you done drink up all my liquor here tonight I got to sell this tub of chitlins here and, 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 and that catfish must go. Come on there, boy, wrap your lips around that clarinet and get gutty low. Now that's more like it. That's more like it. Organ
All right, Clarence Williams Jug Band, Organ Grinder. Okay, moving along. Next, we're going to hear a recording from the great Lightning Hopkins. I think I played Lightning Hopkins in at least one other show because he is one of my favorites. Um, these recordings, though, he did in the late 40s are absolutely some of my favorites. He recorded over his career for a bunch of different labels, um, but the ones, in my opinion, that he recorded for Gold Star Records in Houston between 1946 and 1950 um, are just the best. Uh, eight of them were originally released on 78s on the Gold Star label and some of the others on the Jax label. Um, ever since I heard these in the early 90s, I've been hunting these 78s ever since. I wanted to have the, the original records, and as you're going to hear in a second, for good reason. Fortunately, I've been able to acquire some of these, and we're going to hear one of my favorites tonight. Um, now, Lightning on this uses an electric guitar, which he didn't always use an electric guitar in his recordings. I, I have a feeling he was one of these guys that just pretty much used whatever was available to him. Um, but he uses an electric guitar in these recordings. He's unaccompanied, and he gets some great natural distortion from playing loud and overdriving his amp. And as a result, the guitar tones and his playing, of course, are just out of this world. It's too good. So anyways, dig this record. He recorded it in 1949 for Gold Star Records in Houston. And the title of it is called Jackstropper Blues. Um, side note, apparently a jackstropper is someone who's trying to steal your woman. Okay, so get a load of this. Lightning Hopkins and the Jackstropper Blues.
take my woman, I won't get mad at you. Just like you're taking mine, I'm gonna take someone else's too. That old Jack Strapper got slick, stole my gal from me. That's the reason I can't be happy this morning now. Don't you see I wanna win old Jack Strapper? Stole my gal from me. Yes, you know I'm thinking to myself and wanting, Oh, Lord, who can it be? I was just sitting there listening to that, and I thought, you know what? I, I believe those records are, you know, along, like I said, with the Duke Ellington records earlier, those Lightning Hopkins records from, from Gold Star, that's another fly-on-the-wall moment for me. Man, I would have loved to have been in that recording studio or you know, checking out Lightning Hopkins at Gold Star Recording Studios in Houston in 1949 making those records. He was so good. All right. Whew. So we're going to venture to Mississippi in the 1920s. Now, I feel like Mississippi, and I've, I've always said this, I feel like it, it's sort of a different world anyways, and, and you know, even in the, the 21st century. But imagine Mississippi in the 1920s. I imagine that just being a really wild place. Um, and there's a reason why the music that comes from Mississippi sounds like it does. I've always, I've always thought this, you know, all... All music and art is is a product of the environment that that um, you know that it springs from. And Mississippi in the 1920s, I'm telling you, man, must have just been brutal. First of all, the weather. What are we talking about? You know, 90s and the hundreds during the summertime. Probably in the in the 80s, 70s and 80s in the winter. Um, humid, hot. In the 1920s, you had Jim Crow segregation. You had an essentially a slave-like plantation system still in existence with uh, sharecropping and all these big plantations uh, around the place. You had a cotton economy, and cotton by, by any means is not any, any uh, picnic to, to go out and, and pick cotton. Um, you had just all of this, this real op- oppressive uh, environment. And, you know, commonly, you know, Mississippi is thought of as the land of, you know, where the blues began. Um, But Mississippi also has a pretty rich string band tradition. Um, You know, and as far as the string bands go, we're talking, no, this is not bluegrass. This is pre-bluegrass. Bluegrass didn't even start until 1940 with Bill Monroe's band. Um, These are just good uh, old-time string bands with fiddles and banjos and guitars and and mandolins and um it's quite a bit different than than bluegrass although a lot of people get the two mixed up um and i've always thought of you know these pre-war country string bands as falling you know under two different categories you either hear you know these sort of shit kicker sounding bands you know these down home bands you know ragged fiddle playing banjos real loose and kind of kind of rough around the edges which is which is what i prefer um, and, you know, or you had the uptown, you know, the, the tie wearing these sort of more slick string bands. Well, this band that I'm going to play for you falls into that latter category of the, the more slicker bands, but 
eh, quite frankly, they're kind of somewhere in the middle. They're not super slick and uptown, but they're not as down home and, and uh, dirty as some of the other uh, bands uh, that came out of Mississippi during, during that time. So we're going to hear a record by the great Mississippi string band, the Leak County Revelers. And this record has some great old-time fiddling on it. These guys made a lot of records. They were pretty popular in, in Mississippi. And I thought this would be a good counter to the blues that comes from Mississippi. You know, we always think of the blues coming from Mississippi, like I said. So this record by the Leak County Revelers was recorded in 1928 for Columbia Records. And it's a tune called The Old Hat. All right, listen to these guys. Right on downtown, I'm right on downtown, I'm right on down, this place down to my bank of 
guess after listening to that, I, I want to retract one of my statements. That was a pretty good shit kicker record. I take it back. Some of the other Leak County Revelers cuts were a little bit more polished and uptown, but that was that was pretty good, man. That, that was a good down home record. Hence, probably why I, I picked it for this this show. You know what I like? I like anecdotes and stories behind some of the artists that we're going to hear. And this next artist, Jimmy Davis, has just that. Great story behind the music. So Jimmy Davis, he recorded you know early country records in the 1930s. But Davis was elected, actually, for two non-consecutive terms, elected twice, 1944 to 1948, and from 1960 to 64 as the governor of his native state of Louisiana. Um, he, it was, it's pretty funny. He ran both campaigns as a controversial advocate for impoverished and rural white Louisianans. And he became, you know, pretty commercially successful as a singer of rural music, sorry, uh, before he even entered uh, politics. His early work, like a lot of people of the time, was in the style of um, Jimmy Rogers, who we've, we've heard before on other episodes of the show. Jimmy Rogers keeps coming up because he was so influential. But in his early days, Davis, Jimmy Davis was known for recording energetic and raunchy blues tunes. And during his first run for governor, opponents of him tried to use this against him. And they reprinted lyrics from some of these songs, you know, trying to undermine his campaign. And it, it, it kind of backfired on them because in one case, the anti-Davis forces played some of his records over an outdoor sound system when he was campaigning. Um, and they eventually just gave up after the crowds started dancing and ignoring all these double entendre lyrics and just having a good old time uh, to, to these Jimmy Davis records. Most famously, though, he is said to have written the popular song, You Are My Sunshine, which... Frankly, I would imagine that most people listening to the show have probably heard in one form or another. Um, you Are My Sunshine became so popular, um, you know, that actually it was declared um, as the state song of Louisiana and was used as a campaign song by Jimmy Davis. Eventually it evolves from a, like a sort of an old-timey country song, and it's literally become... I don't know. I don't know if I want to call it a pop song, but man, in subsequent years, so many people recorded You Are My Sunshine. Doris Day recorded it in 1951. Nat King Cole, 1955. Ray Charles, 62. Ike and Tina Turner, also in 62. Andy Williams, 63. Burl Ives, 68. The Beach Boys recorded it. Aretha Franklin. Anne Murray in 1979. Chuck Berry. Jerry Lee Lewis. Johnny Cash. Norman Blake. Brian Wilson. Gene Vincent. These are all people, and there's more, that have recorded some version of You Are My Sunshine. So it went from sort of an old-time sort of country song to, to literally, you know, sort of in the American canon of, of, of popular song. Well, that's a great backstory to Jimmy Davis, but guess what? We're not going to listen to that song because I'm pretty sure you've probably heard it before. If not, Google it, do whatever you need to do, but go hear a version of that song. It's a pretty good song. We're going back to Jimmy Davis when he recorded early pre-war country music. 
you know, that kind of a mix between early country and, and western swing. So we're going to hear a Jimmy Davis number that he recorded for Decca Records in 1936. And this is called High Geared Mama. talk about your gals, but I got one. She's a high-geared mama. She's a son of a gun. She's got knee action, so they say. You ought to see her make her get away. She's a high-geared mama coming to town. Don't let her get you down. She can walk the dog. She can ball the jack. She can really cock them back. She's a high-geared mama built for speed. She has got anything you need. She's a high-geared mama coming to town. Don't let her get you down. She can throw it in high, she can throw it in low, make an old man grab his stick and go. She wanted to dress and she wanted to ring, but she didn't even want to shake that thing. She's a high-geared mama coming to town, don't let her get you down. She's a two-time mama when I leave her at home, she calls another daddy on the telephone. She snorted and cavorted, capered and rared, she never even whimpered and she never even cared. She's a high-geared baby coming to town, don't let her get you down. She'd walk a mile, she can cut your pork chops in the old style. If you like a gal, like this gal of mine, you can come get mine just in the old time. She's a high-geared mama coming to town, don't let her get you down. I took her to church the other day, she and the preacher made her get away. They buried the preacher a mile from town, she come to the funeral in a red nightgown. She's a high-geared mama coming to town. Don't let her get you down. She's a high-geared mama coming to town. Don't let her get you down. She's a high-geared mama coming to town. How quaint. All right. So, we're going to hear a record from the father of bluegrass music. And that is the one and only Bill Monroe. And, shocking, this is a Jimmy Rogers tune that Bill recorded in 1940. Um, It was Monroe's first record as a solo act... Uh, because for most of the, the 1930s, he was very popular with his brother, Charlie Monroe, as the Monroe Brothers. Um, he left his brother, Charlie Monroe, and went out on his, on his own 
and he he named his band uh, the Bluegrass Boys, Bill Monroe from the Bluegrass Boys, and or uh, and the Bluegrass Boys in honor of his home state of Kentucky, the Bluegrass State. That's where the um, that's where bluegrass music gets his name. Um, this song would become one of his signature songs, and uh, it was recorded before singer and guitar player Lester Flat and banjo virtuoso Earl Scruggs would join Monroe's band um, basically about a year later, and that would kind of solidify the standard bluegrass uh, lineup. So we're going to listen to Bill Monroe's first record, and it's titled The Mule Skinner Blues that he recorded for RCA Victor Records in 1940. Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. He was one of the first guys I got into when I first started getting into this a long time ago. Good stuff. Moving along, hey, let's go back in time to Georgia in the 1920s. We're going to hear a song from one of the great fiddlers, Low Stokes. 
Now, Stokes is probably most known for being one of the multiple fiddlers in the great string band Gid Tanner's Skillet Liquors. Uh, the Skillet Liquors made a bunch of records. They were really popular in the late 20s and the 1930s, and they were from North Georgia. But uh, Low Stokes did make some solo records separate from the Skillet Liquors. And, um, you know, this one I find quite appealing. Um, so we're going to hear Low Stokes and his North Georgians doing a blues tune that they recorded for Columbia Records in 1927. And this is them doing the unexplained blues. What kind of blues is it that can't be explained? What kind of blues is it that can't be explained? It's the kind of mean old blues that makes you ride that cannonball train. I woke up this morning, thought I would leave this town. I woke up this morning, thought I would leave this town. to two-time me and I know there was something wrong She tried to two-time me and I know there was something wrong For every time I come in she was always gone from her home One day I found him in her in a show called a grand. One day I found him in her in the show called a grand. And sweet mama flatly told me she loved this other man. I'm gonna take a ride This song is almost over I'm gonna take a ride If you wanna hear me sing some more Please just play the other side Oh, 
Don't worry, Lo, we'll hear you play the other side of that record at some time in the future. <laughs> the other side of that record is called The Homebrew Rag. It's pretty great. We'll save that for another show, though. All right, we're going to hear two records in a row here. Uh, first, we're going to hear a record by the vocalist from Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys. This is one of the records he did as a solo act, and that is the great Tommy Duncan. Now, Tommy was fired by Bob Wills, which to me was a, a, a horrible move because, in my opinion, I believe Tommy Duncan was an integral part of that Texas Playboys sound. You know, like I, I think I mentioned on another show, Bob did not sing most of the songs. Tommy sang them, and, it, and it's, he's, he's one of my favorite singers and really was a huge part of Bob Wills' success. Um, by the late 40s, I guess Wills apparently had quite a drinking problem. And he and Duncan had some disagreements over pay and over, you know, Bob being too drunk all the time and missing gigs and and uh, things like that. So lo and behold, Wills fires Tommy Duncan or rather had his guitarist Eldon Shambland fire him. Uh, and so Duncan went out, you know, and formed his own group and made some records. So we're going to hear one of those. They're pretty good. Um, we're going to hear Tommy Duncan do... What? Surprise? A Jimmy Rogers song? Whew. No way. Uh, we're going to hear Jimmy Rogers' tune done by Tommy Duncan called The Mississippi Blues. Um, so this was recorded by Tommy Duncan and his Western All-Stars for Hollywood's Intro Records in 1951. And then after that, we're going to hear Roy Newman and his boys, which was kind of a transitional group from early uh, Western swing and country, you know, um, kind of somewhere in, in between those two styles. So we'll hear a record he did called I Used to Love You that he recorded for Vocalion Records in 1939. Got the Mississippi River Blue. Oh, you Mississippi River. With water so deep and wide My thoughts of you keep rising Just like an evening tide I'm just like a seagull That's left the sea Your mean old muddy water Keep on calling me I'm gonna pack my grip and head that way You'll see me hanging around again someday For I know that's the only way to lose The mean old Mississippi River Blue The Mississippi River
and rode your bosom from Memphis down to New Orleans, riding on your muddy water, floating through familiar scenes, and when I Again, I'm going to flow. I'm gonna pack my grip and head that way. You'll see me hanging round again someday. For I know that's the only way to lose the mean old Mississippi River blues. The Mississippi.
Okay, a couple more songs left in the show. Thanks for sticking around. Next up, we're going to listen to, frankly, one of the more unique and bizarre records in my collection. So we're going to venture on back to Kentucky in the 1920s, and we're going to hear a banjo and fiddle duet uh, recording, you know, that contains some pretty bizarre vocalizations and beating on the banjo as if it were a drum, which that's essentially what a banjo is. If you think about it, it's a drum with strings. So this record is a prime example of the wide variety of American folk music that was recorded by the commercial labels during the 1920s and 30s. They went out there, they recorded all kinds of stuff, and I think eventually I'm going to have a, a theme show on on just that. But this is another specimen of you know the sounds of the old weird America captured on records by these companies during the time. Um, th- this is one of those records that whenever I put it on around the house, my wife and kids trip out on it. It's always, you know, like, what are you listening to? Usually followed by some eye rolling. It's great, though, and it makes me smile or chuckle every time I hear it. And, you know, that's that's what that's what the joy in music is. That's what it's all about. So let's check it out. This is Burnett and Rutherford doing Ladies on a Steamboat, recorded for Columbia Records in 1927. I challenge you not to smile or chuckle at this when you hear it. All right, check it out. Now, folks, we're going to play some good dance music. If it ain't right, get right. Get ready now. Let's go. Hot dog. Thank you. 
Okay, folks, let's wrap it up. Here we go. One last song. I hope you enjoyed the show today. Again, please go ahead and subscribe. Also, share with your community. I sure would appreciate it. You could rank the show and leave a review at Apple Podcasts if you're so inclined. You could also email me at olddingyjukebox at gmail.com. I sure would like to hear your feedback or just drop in and say hello. So with that, we're going to head on out of here with an old honky-tonk number by one of my favorites, and that is Laddie Moore. This is classic early 50s country music. Now, this is real country music, folks. Not that crock of stew everyone hears like Old Town Road and all that kind of garbage. Man, <laughs> that stuff's a drag. Dig this. This is Laddie Moore doing a number he recorded for King Records in Ohio in 1953 titled, I Got a Brand New Case of Love. So tune in next week where I'm going to have a theme show for Memorial Day. So listen to this and we'll go on out with Laddie Moore. Take it easy. Shaking down with chills Took a bottle of medicine And a whole box of pills The more I took The more I shook Don't know what to do Seems I always get this way When I'm not with you I've got pains I can't relieve Don't know what I'm suffering of I'm beginning to believe I've got a brand new case of love starts to rise. What can I do without you to soothe my aching heart? Seems I always get this way whenever we're apart. I've got pains I can't relieve, don't know what I'm suffering of. I'm beginning to believe I've got a brand new case of love. Doctor, before I learned what was wrong with me, the doctor said that ain't no cure for lovesick misery. I got pains I can't relieve, don't know what I'm suffering of. I'm beginning to believe I've got a brand new case of love.